Open up your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be picking back up where we left off last week. Just dribbled my own water all over me here. All right. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're only going to be taking verses 1 through 5 today looked at doing all 18 verses, but there's so much in these first five verses, and they're so in such contrast with the remaining of the, that chapter, I'm going to take it in two parts. Follow along with me as we read those five verses, and then we will go verse by verse. Paul says here, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from, un, from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Father, we thank you for us to be able to come here again, to gather here in your name. And we want to, everything we say and do, Lord, just to be from you and only from you. Speak to the hearts of your people this day in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. As we continue to go down through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we come here in chapter 3 of the second Thessalonian letter that Paul wrote to the believers there in Thessalonica. And one of the key of the subject today is the truth. And he's going to emphasize, because if you notice there, he says, finally, brethren. Finally is a means to... Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm about to close out the letter I'm about here, and I'm going to wrap it all up so you don't forget what I've been telling you over the last several, uh, we call chapters, but the beginning of the letter, the epistle that he was writing here. And he's saying, finally, and it draws your attention. when you, you, Sometimes as a pastor, you say, okay, and finally, that you, you say, okay, he's going to wrap this thing up. You know, for pastors, that means it could be another 15, 20 minutes or more, as you know that. But you know I'm wrapping it up because I'm going to hit some of the key points that I want to make sure you, when you leave, you do not forget these key points. Do you know that? It's the same thing. Okay, I, I, you know, I've, got, I've got one last thing I want to say. It draws your ear to the fact that they're about to say something important to wrap it up with that long conversation or even a short conversation you may be having with someone on the phone or in a letter format. Here we see in a letter format that Paul is saying to the believers who are listening to the reading of this letter in the congregations there of all the believers. He says, finally, brethren, meaning this is family. Brethren is not a term that you says, I'm some stranger or non-believers reading this. Believers are reading this just as we are reading it today because it's for you. Brethren, meaning you, uh, brothers and sisters of the Lord. You're in the family of God. This is letter is for you. Finally, let me tell you some really key things you need to listen to and as we see here a very military term command you 
It's a military term that you are your commander in chief, your chief, your you're the, the, the captain, the, 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 the head general here. God himself is about to tell you and me as believers what you and I need to understand. And God is using Paul to write those words down for you and I. And as we see here and we look at this, he's going to talk about the truth, the word of God, and how important that is and it should be in your life. And that you and I are to be obedient to the truth that God has given you. In this letter, we are to listen and obey the truth that God has given us in this letter. That's what Paul is saying here. And the truth, if we believe the truth, if we really believe the word of God, this letter, it will biblically change our lives. People say, I want to change. I need a change in my life. But then study the word of God and watch how God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will change your life biblically. That means your life will be in line and will not conflict with what God's truth is. You will not be going against the will of God. You will be in the will of God. You're not going to be walking in the flesh. You're going to be walking in the spirit and in truth. It's not complicated, my brothers and sisters. It's very simple. Not always easy, is it? Why? Because we get pulled away from the truth of God, the word of God, and you start listening to the things of the world and the false teachings out there that are going on, and it will sway you from the truth of God. It'll sway you away from the desire to read the word of God. And that's always an indication where you are in your spiritual walk. How much do you desire and how much do you read and study the word of God on your own? How much desire do you have to come to church and to sit and to hear the teaching, the preaching of the word of God? That tells you right now, right now and in your head, where you are in your walk with Christ. The Spirit of God's doing that to, to tell you you're, you're right on track, bro. Or sister, you are so far off, you need to get back on track. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So the tr if we believe the truth, it, it will biblically change our lives. And we will guard that truth, the word of God, and we'll guard it with our lives. And we will practice what the truth says. That is what we'll do. If you really believe it. If you really believe it. If you don't believe it, you will not practice what the Bible says. And you will not guard it in your heart. You won't guard it. You, you will allow other things to influence, to take away and dilute the word of God in your life. But when you sit there and you're guarding the truth and you're practicing the truth, you will desire to share the truth with those who are lost. Because you know how valuable and what God's word has done in your life. You can't help but tell people about the truth. Because you've got the solution for their craziness in their life. You absolutely have something of value to say if you will share the word of God with someone else. I mean, really think about the simplicity of the truth. Of you having the truth implanted in your life to be able to share with someone else, especially within your family, raising children, supporting your grandchildren. I mean, it goes on and on. But God's word is alive. We see that in Hebrews 4.12. 
For the, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what the word of God will do. That's why it's so powerful if you really do not have a relationship with God, if you're not born again, you've not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, you will not want to hear the Word of God because it's too painful because it can slice right down and pass all your veneers and all your facades and your religious uh, camouflage that makes you sound and look like a Christian, but in that deep within you are not a changed person. It's just a... It's just a religious show for you. It's just, it's just tradition. It's, it's not a changed life. That's why you can't handle the truth verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, the whole counsel of God, because you can't get away from what the Spirit of God is going to teach you. So you find another place that teaches nice, soft, watered-down, cozy-feeling kind of teaching that makes you feel loving and all good and warm. So you never have to change. You only want to feel good. I don't like pain either. But when God's doing surgical operation to get the cancer that's in you out, I assure you, you want it out. Who wants to go through the pain to get it out? But God is faithful, and God is loving, and God is gentle and kind, patient with us. <laughs> Praise God, right? Amen? Is that an amen somewhere on that one? But with the truth, Paul closes out his letter to the Thessalonians to give them a very specific focus. And the focus here in the first five verses is the truth. To know the truth, to believe that truth, to practice that truth, to live that truth, but more and even more important, share the truth. And we have to do that because that's why, because remember the theme of this letter as, as well as the first Thessalonians was what? They were concerned, they were con all confused and, and all those things about the day of the Lord, the fact that the rapture was going to happen, the fact that judgment from God was going to happen, the day of the Lord, the great tribulation. They thought they were already in it. And Paul's like, no, you're not there yet. I, I'm going to show you the indications why that hasn't happened. So don't be fearful. Just stay focused on the truth. Stay focused on this and do not listen to those false teachers any longer. Do not listen to these other writings and books that are out there. Just stay focused on my word. And I'm telling you, you'll be fine. You'll be you'll be settled in your mind and in your life. And so he says here, finally, brother, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. So Paul is very consistent in his letters. He's consistent by asking Christians to pray for him. We see that in Romans. We see that in 2 Corinthians. We see it in Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, Philemon. He's very consistent and a very humbled man, even though he was a brilliant man, an incredibly smart man, very well-educated man. He knew that the power was in prayer, in the, that relationship and communication with God to make things change in people's lives. That apart from prayer, you can do nothing in that relationship with God. 
And so as we look at the scriptures here, and he, Paul knew that his success of his ministry is in some kind of a measure depending on the prayers of God's people. One of the hardest things for you as a Christian to do is to pray and to be consistent in your prayers and to be in line with God's will in your times of communications with God. But Paul understood, here's a man that God used to write almost one-third of the New Testament. And he's asking for prayer. So what it puts you and I, that you, you and I, do you, you think we need prayer? If this man needs prayer and he recognizes it, I mean, we need prayer. Because we're not been used by God to write one-third of the Bible. <laughs> I mean, these are, these, this is an incredible, God himself specifically reached out and touched Paul's life right there on the road to Damascus and called him out and said, you're going to be used by me. And this man recognizes the humbleness that apart from God, he can do nothing. That his wisdom is nothing compared to God's wisdom. And so he's sitting there asking for prayer for these people, these believers in Thessalonica, and how important. And Kathleen and I and all the leadership, we th thank you for all your prayers. What a blessing it is because we know for us to continue, it's only by the prayers of the people over the years to continue in the ministry because there's so many things coming against us not to be in the ministry. Not to keep the doors open and keeping the opportunity for people to gather together in God's word. The enemy is alive and well. I mean, just thinking about, we've been praying in morning's prayer this morning about California. They don't even want people to gather as a church, let alone gather in their own houses during Thanksgiving. I mean, the enemy is on a roll, people. And we must pray against the evilness of this mentality that is screaming across the land to keep you and I from gathering together in his name. Not only here as a church, but even in your own home. If you don't recognize, my brothers and sisters, that the enemy is alive and well and is at the last stage because Satan knows that Jesus is coming back for his church. Satan knows his days are numbered because the day of the Lord is coming as we read in here and we're at the cusp of that to happen. And when we see these things, look up because he says, I draw nigh. To get wrapped up in this world and look and have your 10-year plan of how you're going to plan things out. I don't know if it's going to be 1,000 years from now or 100 years from now or perhaps today he's coming back for us. Whatever it may be, the question is, are you ready? My, my, my blessing is to prepare you, to feed you as sheep, to prepare you so you're healthy, to recognize the things that, the, according to the truth, what the things look like in the end times. And so we see here Paul's doing the same thing. And it's only through this, uh, as James says in, in the end of uh, verse 16 of chapter 5 of James, it says, the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails what? Much. It avails much. How important it is. And you know what Paul is asking for? He's not asking for a more money to be a pastor. He's not asking for a bigger building so he can have a, a, and, and a nicer building so he can somehow have his name put on the building. He's not asking for anything personal at all. He's saying, he says, he's praying for that the word of the Lord the truth, the word of the Lord may run swiftly. 
Meaning, no resistance. Freely going out. Absolutely spreading like a wildfire. With nothing stopping it. Because he says, that is what we're asking for prayer for. Is that when I teach and I'm sharing the gospel, Paul says, I want to swiftly run like a race. I want it to just go so fast and touch so many people across the land. So, so many directions. That's my prayer. That's what he's asking for. You know what he's asking for as a pastor? He's saying, I'm going to, I want to do more work for the Lord. I'm going to be sacrificing and doing more for the God to get the gospel out because I know it changes lives. He understood that he, that could not happen without the Thessalonican Christians to pray that God's word would be free to do its work, to do its effective work among the people that we're listening and hearing. That's why he says, just as it is with you. He saw that the word of God, the truth of God was working and there was no restrictions in those believers in that Thessalonican church. That church was thriving in the word of God. And there was a, a change taking place in the people. Like he said, I, he was just, just speechless. And he was just abounding. He couldn't help but say praising God for what God was doing in that believers, the church of believers. And Paul alludes to when he talks about the running swiftly, if it brought your attention, it brings it to Psalm 147, 15, where it says, He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very, what? Swiftly. There's movement. When you hear the gospel and you hear the truth, the truth should not just stay with you. It should work through you and it should run with you and spread across the land. That truth should spread and run swiftly with no restriction. Romans 10, verse 14. How then shall we call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? We must not be able to, you know, the enemy would love to suppress people who teach the word of God. Why? Because that is how people who do not know the word of God can hear the word of God. And it's not talking about just preachers as in my position that God's called me to do. He's calling you to be preachers of the gospel. He's talking about you as well, running swiftly through your life to share the good news with those who are lost and going to hell. God's word cannot be bound. 2 Timothy 2.9 tells us that. The word cannot be bound. No one and nothing is going to hold and bound God's word. And as we practice the truth and pray for the ministry of the truth, God's word will have freedom to run and accomplish God's purposes in the world. Paul here is asking the word of God, the truth, to move ahead. To move ahead. Do not let it be stagnant. Because if the word of God is stagnant in a church, the church will die. If, this, if the church no longer teaches the truth, simply teaching the truth simply, that church will die. It will become ineffective. It will, will not have legs on it to move and affect 
change in a society. And we've seen that happening, and that's why I believe many things are happening in this world because that many churches today do not have legs that can run. They can't move swiftly. They're paralyzed because they do not teach the word of God. Remember, it's not about the messenger. It's all about the message. It's about the word of God going out in prayer and being glorified, Paul says. Not only does it go out swiftly and be glorified or to be revealed to the ears of the people who are hearing. That these, 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 this truth will just be incredible how through prayer it will touch and change the lives of people. Not, not, Paul's not saying, let's turn these churches into entertainment centers. Or we're going to rely upon the uh, programs. Or we're going to rely on miracles or bells and whistles to entertain the people to get the people to come. No, he says it's the word of God that changes lives. Not as some beautiful entertainment center you've created. Some social gathering you've called that has all the beautiful little gatherings so you'll feel good and, and social gatherings and social clubs. That is not what the church is designed for. You don't create some place where it's all about miracles and everyone walk in and say, what miracle is going to happen today? And you start looking and you see a fly. Oh, that's Beelzebub. Pray for the, get the Beelzebub out of here kind of a thing. But there's a butterfly. It must be from the, I mean, all kinds of craziness and shadows and, oh, look at chasing the shadows in the churches. I mean, these are crazy things going on. Because people are not looking and hearing from the word of God and the spirit of God touching your heart. You're looking for things not by faith but by sight. And you wonder why your walk is so weak. I'm not talking to you. I know you're solidly walking. I know you hear the word of God. I know these things. But be understanding. That is not the norm these days outside of the church here. And that's why I want you to disciple other people. I want you to go out there and share the truth lovingly coming alongside them and encouraging them to read the word of God. Share the word of God. As I feed you, my brothers and sisters, you're now able to give out and share and feed others who are desperately hungry for the truth. The word of God is to glorified in the lives of those who share it and those who receive it. Why? Psalm 138.2 For you have magnified or glorified your word above your name. So when I read those verses, I hope it clearly speaks to you like it does to me that why would we not teach and read and study the word of God when he puts his word above his own name? Why would, you, why would you not do that? That's why Paul's experience in Antioch in Pisidia, Acts 13, 48. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. Why? Because the glorifying the word, the, the truth brings forth salvation in people's lives. You have a loved one right now today that could come to your mind and they are not saved. 
then why would you share anything other than the word of God with them? You must share the word of God. And when you share the word of God, that will lead to what? Salvation. Because they hear the, word, they hear the voice of God speaking to them. And they surrender their life completely. Paul asks for prayer so that the word can run freely without any hindrance. And as I pondered on it this week, here's Paul asking. Here's his final words of his letter. One of the key points he wants to make sure you understand. And he sits there and Paul's prayer request must make you understand or at least ponder on it like me. That says the work of God's word how much is the work of God's word in our life hindered because of our prayerlessness? Because of our prayerlessness, our, our lack of desire to pray individually or corporately together or with two or more, how our prayerlessness has caused a hindrance for the word of God to go out and to change your life, but to change the lives of others that you've been praying for. Or not praying for. This Sunday, there's a call for all churches to be praying and fasting for our country. Franklin Graham put that out, and he's putting it out across all the churches. I'm sure all of you have been somehow touched through your, your Facebook and all kinds of media of knowing that we must come together. He didn't ask you to get together and have a party and have food and get, he's saying fast. So, you know, deny your flesh and to pick up your cross and to pray and talk to God about the things of this country because the, the darkness is trying to come, come across this land. If you don't understand that, please, if you're like, I don't really catching what he's saying, then you obviously need to know the truth of God in relations to what is happening in our country today. Because if you really believe the word of God, and that means you would be obedient to the word of God, there should be no question in your mind how you will vote, but how you will pray for this country. It's, it's, it's clear as can be. There's no question. If there is a question, that's what we're available. We want to show you the word of God. And we want to help you in that. So come, ask, talk. I'm a, I'm a big boy. I can handle that. I can have any conversation. I'm good with this. Because I want to help you. But God has promised in his word, all the way back to Isaiah 55, 11, that his word will be free and perform its work according to God's sovereign will. And it says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. God says, I'm going to send out my word, and it will not return void. It will accomplish what I want it to accomplish. I like that. Because I know God's faithful. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that, that helps me. It should help you ground you in your walk. Because even when you feel and you're thinking completely squirrely about things. Because you're not sure how things are going to work out. You must come back to the truth and say, but God's in control. I'm a child of his and I'm, he's in control. 
And I don't know how he's going to work this all out. I don't know all the little details, but I know it's going to be good and right because my father's good. <laughs> my father's a good, good father. He's going to work this out. Too many Christians work these days in accomplishing these things for God in their own minds through human plans, through human promotions, and not by the word of God in prayer. Do you know that? So many times you'll say, I want to do great things for God. And then you come up and you figure out your little promotion plan because you're the marketing person for the company A and you know how to do promotions. And so we will come and bring that back in to try to accomplish God's work. Or you're an operations guy. You're running a company operations. You've got multiple things going on. You can multitask and all kinds of things. And you think that skill and that ability and knowledge is going to translate perfectly into trying to do the work that God, you think God's put on your heart to do for him. i got a program for you. My brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, apart from him, you can do nothing that will be fruitful for God. You can spend a lot of effort and time. Go ahead and do it and chase it. You'll become quickly very, very depleted and empty and struggling and frustrated. Because you're not being empowered by God. You're not being led by God. You're not being directed by God. You are trying to do it through human efforts and plans and promotions. And that is not how. Where God leads, he will provide. There's no question in my mind. Remember, the universe was created and is sustained by the word of God, Hebrews 11.3. So if you know that the word of God went out and created the universe, why would you and I think that his word cannot take this creation he, he made and accomplish his work he wants to accomplish in this world today? Why would we turn anywhere else? But so many times we do. But the preaching of the word in the pulpit has too often been replaced by the entertainment on the platform. As you know, if you've been around me, I'm not very entertaining. I don't tell jokes. I can't tell a joke. Everyone else can tell a joke. I just don't tell jokes. It's safe that way that I don't try. I usually don't do, deliver it well. But Christian pastors must remember it is our purpose, our mission to feed the sheep, not to entertain the goats. God's word will accomplish God's work when the sheep are fed. They will flock together in love. They'll reproduce. They will follow the shepherd and they will become very fruitful in love. And peace and joy will fill their hearts. If the sheep are fed. Fed with what? Not my life stories. Not the head news of the articles on the newspaper. But the truth. That's feeding you. Good, nourishing diet. Sometimes it's good, healthy milk. And for some, it's meat so that you can chew on it because you need some more substance. But either way, ultimately, I must feed you so that you are healthy and you will go out and share the truth which reproduces 
and leads people to Christ, right? You're leading back to Christ and you're following the shepherd, you're listening. And it, it is when the sheep are hungry, weak, and stray away from the truth that they start biting each other, becoming sick, and wandering away from the flock. That's what happens. And when the word of God does not or does do the work, then God gets the glory, does he not? It's amazing God gets the glory because you and I look at each other and the only way this all is happening is because God's doing it. It's, 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 it's like this is amazing what God is doing. There's a saying I always kind of hold on to in my mind. If you can explain what is going on, then God isn't doing it. If you can explain it, then you're living by sight and not by faith. Oh, how the temptation is to have everything explained and communicated all in detail on paper how we're going to get from point A to point B. If you've been hanging with me long enough, you realize you don't get a lot of detail because I don't know the answers either. God's doing the work. I'm just waiting for him to reveal it and just be obedient to when he says take the next step. So if you're asking me what the next 10 steps are, I can't give it to you unless he's given me the 10 steps and I would have already shared it with you. Not complicated. But it's very hard when you don't, faith is not strong and you live by, by sight. So, now, of course, there's always opposition to the truth in the work of God. There's no question about it. And Paul says it. Hey, we, we're doing good. We're on verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. So, there's always going to be opposition to when the word of God, and when we want to get the word of God go out. Trust me, in the radio station business that we're in, we have our own radio station here, and amazing opposition comes against us in that ministry because we, the enemy does not want us to get the word of God out through those waves. And Satan, the prince of the air, is, is trying to stop those waves from going out so many times. There's always opposition. And Paul says that we may be delivered. We, Paul, Paul and his, the apostles there, are we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Do you know there's unreasonable people out there? Have you come across a few unreasonable people who do not like the truth of God? When you share the simplicity of the truth of God? You didn't even say it was from the Bible. You didn't even say what chapter and verse or anything. You just quoted the, ver the words and immediately you can see the opposition against you. Why? Because there's unreasonable people out there. Why? Because they don't know God. They choose darkness. Not only are they unreasonable, but they're wicked. Or the, in the Greek word here is perverted. There's perverted men and women out here. I, it says men, but remember, ladies, I'm talking about you too. You're, there's a lot of unreasonable women. Not many I've come across, of course. <laughs> Mostly men. A few, very few, in a very long distance was there unreasonable women. I don't think I've ever met a wicked woman. But I'm just saying what the scripture says here, right? But I've met, met, met a lot of men. So I'll call them out. I think I got out of that one. 
These were those who, these were the people who wanted to hinder the work of the gospel. They're the naysayers. They're always the ones. I think we should go out and do this. No, nah, I don't think that's going to work. No, it's too much. I, that, I, I don't know how we could do that. that I, don't, I don't feel like it. It's, that's a lot of work. I, I, I don't, I, that would really be stretching me. They don't say it, though. But inside, they're saying, uh, that's a lot of work. I, I, I'm not going to give up my Saturday. I'm not going to give up this weekend. I'm not going to do this. I'm not, I, 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 got, I got things to do, man. But there's unreasonable, but also wicked men. Clearly, we see a very interesting contrast here of what Paul's writing here between the positive and negative reactions when it comes to the preaching of the gospel and what the preaching of the gospel produces in people. You preach the, the gospel to one, and it's positive, they receive it, and they're, can you tell me more? And you say the exact same words to someone else, and they, they, they will repel you. They're unreasonable in their, in their conversations with you. They're wicked responses to what you share. You'll see the contrast by sharing the same truth to individuals. You'll see where they stand and how their response is. Just as the Spirit uses dedicated people to share the truth, understand that Satan uses dedicated people on his side to come and oppose the truth. So if you ever meet anybody or hear anyone speaking that goes against the truth of God, you know what camp they're from. Regardless of the t-shirt they're wearing. Regardless of what they say they are. All you have to do is hear the word that comes out of their mouth and their actions and what they write. If it goes against the word of God, they are not in God's camp. They're not. Because if you go against God, you're against God. It's not, it's not complicated, is it? Here, Paul reveals the evil one, which is Satan. Maybe your translation just says, uh, uh, the, get away from evil. But in the original language, in the, in the context there, you, it's really evil one. That's really referring to Satan and his demonic forces there. The, in, in the fact that Paul reveals that the evil one enjoys using Christian believers to oppose the work of God. Did you know that? Yes. Even Christian believers. But they're so in the carnal state as a believer, or they're so weak, or there's still so much of the world in them that they're not willing to change biblically. Satan can use those weak Christians, let alone non-Christians, non-believers, to do the, his work. Because they're so weak. Why? Because they don't know the truth. They haven't practiced the truth. They're not committed to the truth. They don't test all things about the truth before they make decisions and do things. Here Paul is speaking about men who do not have really, I believe, the faith in Jesus Christ like they have. Everyone has faith. Some believe have faith in the government. Some have faith in, in, in celebrities. Some people have faith in their own abilities. Some people have faith in, in all kinds of things. Everyone has faith in something or someone or some program. 
I know I'll be strong because I follow this program. You are not, you're on shaky ground. You're on shaky ground, my brothers and sisters. We're talking about our faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation and for life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Not by a program. Not some church. Not by some guru. Not by some pastor. It's only by Jesus Christ himself. We also stand, understand that because of this, so many times people put their faith in something or someone else and they wonder why they, as a Christian or even a non-believer are so shaky, unstable, unfruitful, no joy, no peace. They wonder why. Because so many people, so many times, they trust in everything but, but the Lord. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. Here's a promise from, that Paul gives us. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Faithfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. And he's faithful what? To do what? He says, God, Paul says, God is faithful to do what? Establish you. Will establish you. What does establishment mean? We see it 13 times in the New Testament. Steravos means we get our word steroid from, which means a future strengthening for us. He will strengthen your muscles, your abilities to do, not so much physical, it can be, but spiritually to conquer or to go against the opposition that's going to come against you. He'll give you the strength, the stronghold by God's strength and his faithfulness to carry through. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the, in the power of his might. So how and why we know we can be successful in this Christian walk is because of his faithfulness and his ability to strengthen us through that faithfulness he shows us to continue to walk for him. When you feel weak, you just go back and ponder on the fact that God is faithful. And you go back and show how he's faithful to bring you through these things in your life over the past time. And if he's faithful in the past, I guarantee he will be faithful in the future. And you must hold on to those moments when you're just really squirrely <laughs> emotionally and, and, and things that you don't wish how life's going to play out. Just know God is faithful and he's got you. Not only will he establish you, but he will guard you from the evil one, the one and only Satan himself and the demonic forces. Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be, be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. He gives you the tools and the ability, the faith to be able to quench these fiery darts that are thrown to you, at you by Satan. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom you, he may devour. So you need to understand that Satan is looking to take you out. But you don't fear. Why? Because God says here in the word that he will guard you. 
Do you believe that? But so many times we go, well, I don't think I've ever think about the devil's ever coming. Again, I said it early on if you didn't catch it. Devil can, God can use faithful people of his people to do his work, right? The truth, to follow the truth. But Satan can use those who don't oppose the truth and come against you. And it's a, it might be your, your closest of friends that come against you. It could be a, a family member. It could be a spouse. Or it could be your completely strange, interesting neighbor that you have. It comes in all forms and sizes and shapes. But you have to understand that God says, I will guard you now and in the future. All the attacks will come, but God is faithful to guard and keep us. You're a child of God. You're in the palm of his hand. Nothing can touch your life unless it's been what? Father filtered first. And if he's allowed it, that means he's going to use it to get you back on track or to refine you and deepen your faith in him. And that's all good. 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. So anytime you find yourself, I don't know if God's going to come through on this, then you need to go back and re read 2 Timothy 2.13. You know, you have to remember the, faithful, the faithfulness of the Lord. God is faithful not because of us, but in spite of us. He is faithful because of who he is. Not, even in spite of us and how unfaithful we are, he is still faithful. He's still going to show. You might be a no-show, but he'll, be, he'll still show up. You have to remember these things. Even if not all men have faith, of course, to the degree in Jesus Christ that we want, the Lord is faithful. He, Paul has confidence in God's ability to establish and guard us from the evil one. God promises to keep Satan on a leash, keep him on a short leash. He will not allow any temptation to become too great for us. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 promise. He will not allow that temptation to be too great, that he cannot give you a way out and to avoid that temptation. And will not allow Satan to do whatever he wants with us. We have a guarantee that God puts a hedge of protection on us. And we see that in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. We must remember that truth. And that's why Paul says in here in verse 4, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do now and will do anytime in the future, the things we command you. I, we know that because of God's faithfulness, he's going to work through your life and do the commandments that God said you need to do now, do, and will do what he gives you later on and another commandments later to do later. He's going to be faithful to give you the strength to do that. That's why rather than feeling distraught, over the present situations you find yourself in, as Paul is saying to the Thessalonians there, 
I understand the current situation of the trials and the tribulations and the problems in your life and the sickness and the false teaching and those coming against you. We understand that because you're a Christian. Because you're a Christian, these things are happening to you. But Paul is saying here, we are confident in the Lord. We're confident in the Lord regarding how he's going to bring you through this. I don't have confidence in you. I don't have confidence in me. I have confidence in the Lord that he's going to do that through me or through you. See the difference? So many teachings today is you can have better self-esteem. You need to really buckle up, man. You need to be stronger because you can accomplish anything. And it's all about you, 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 you. No, it's all about him, 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 him. And that's where your focus must stay. Because that is where the strength comes from. That is where the faithfulness of assurance that you have in the Lord because of that. God doesn't just pour out his spiritual maturity and, 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 and stability into your life so that you could go live however you want. He works it in us through our cooperation according to his will. He doesn't stabilize you and strengthen you and bless you with things so you can just go about your own will. That's what a lot of people think today in the Christian world. But that's not true. That's not the truth. He does it so you can do according to his will. Our confidence must be in the Lord and his power to enable us to do what he has commanded us to do. Chuck Smith used to say this, and I loved it, and I wrote it down. It says... God will not give us a command that he also will not enable us to obey. If God gives you a command, you can guarantee that he is going to give you the power to be able to enable you to do the commandment that he's called you to do. Do you know that? You must remember that, my brothers and sisters. If God says to you, you're going to go do it, you're, he's, going to, he's not going to give you something you, he knows you're going to fail. You just have to choose to do it. That's your part. He'll enable you to do it if you choose to be obedient and follow the commandment. But unfortunately, we put our confidence in ourselves. We put our confidence in our brain, our body, or our bank account, leaning on our own understanding. I think I can do this for God. Let me check my bank account. Oh, I can do this. My body's in great top condition. I can do anything because my body is in perfect condition. I've worked out a lot to be able to do these things for God. I am so smart. I have so learned. I am so experienced. Oh, I can accomplish anything here. You're in danger, my brothers and sisters, with that pride. It's only a matter of time you'll have destruction in your life. That's why God, Paul's saying here, don't rely upon yourself. Philippians 3.3, for we are to what? Have no confidence in the flesh. Romans 7.18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good, what? Dwells. <laughs> nothing dwells good in the life. But we must remember also Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I, that, I hung on to that verse in my early days when I got saved. Am I going to really change here? And God says, oh, I've started a good 
work in you. I am faithful to complete that work in you. It might be a nice, easy road, or you can fight me all the way you want, Corey, but I'm going to win. <laughs> you, can, you can headbutt me and struggle with me and wrestle with me like Jacob, but I'm going to take your socket out of your hip if I need to. I didn't want a Jacob moment. I wanted to continue to just surrender my life and surrender my life and surrender my life so that it would be an easy, just a nice, easy walk with him in obedience. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. 1 John 3.18-20, my, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For it is our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He knows all things, what's going on in your life. And finally, verse 5, we see what I call a prayer wish from Paul to the Thessalonians here. A prayer wish for them. What does he say? There are two essential qualities that he focuses on here that in his prayer wish for them. He says right here, now may the Lord direct your hearts. How? Where does he direct? Into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Catch this most important verse. Put a little asterisk, underline it, highlight it with your little coloring pencil if you have one. It's important for you to remember this, that the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. What does that mean? Paul here wisely prayed for both a, an agape, unconditional love that would be bare from your love, from your life. And patience or endurance, a steadfastness, an endurance for the Thessalonian Christians that these two qualities, these essential qualities are for, them, for this kind of a spiritual stability and spiritual growth and strength that he prayed that they would have in their life. The word direct here in the scripture means to clear away the obstacles that they needed to understand that God would direct or wipe away or move all obstacles keeping them from the love of God and understanding of the love of God that he has for him, them. Not only that they would clearly know that they are loved. Do you know you are loved? Do you know that? That God loves you. You must meditate on that truth. Paul says, I want nothing hindering you understanding that God loves you. Regardless of how you feel, that doesn't change the love he has for you. He loves you and he was going to clear any away, any obstacles that would hinder you knowing and understanding that, yes, we all have heart problems. We all have heart problems. Many may say, I know, but you don't know my heart or you don't understand me or you don't know I have a good heart. I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as this other person. You get all kinds of squirrely things you will say in our heads to try to justify that we're not as bad as someone to the left or to the right of us. But let me remind you of a truth. <laughs> you, don't, you won't like it, but I'm going to read it to you anyway because it's the truth of God. Jeremiah, 
Highlight that one. I bet you, I bet you it's not highlighted in your Bible, but Jeremiah, <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what our heart is. Apart from God and Him changing your heart and regenerating your heart and being born again, that is your heart, regardless of how you think. But God, Paul knew, but God knew in his petition, in his prayer to, to, to Jesus Christ, and he would open up the way. Jesus would open up the way to, or for the believers there, to obey out of a growing appreciation for God's love. I always say this, and I, I'll say it again. Many people will come to Christ and be born again out of fear because they don't want to go to hell. Or they need to get rid of whatever is in your life that's destroying you and you're about to lose your family, your friends, your own personal health, whatever it may be. Out of fear, you'll come to Christ. But you will not continue, I believe, to continue to walk or to grow and mature in this faith only you will never you won't do it out of fear you'll only do it out of the deep appreciation of the love of God for you you will willing to make the change and be obedient to the commandments because of your understanding that God loves you and once you get that solidified in your hearts and your head my brothers and sisters, you will find that this agape love, this unconditional love, you will meditate on the love of God for you. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Mark, in Mark twelve thirty, adds one more, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Did you notice that? You shall love the Lord. You shall love the Lord. You shall love the Lord. Why? Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. John 17, 23, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Do you know that God loved Jesus, his only begotten son? He loves you as just as well. That's an amazing statement here in John 17, 23. And that's why he's saying, Paul is saying, we need to focus on the patient endurance of Christ as well. Not only the love of God has for you and how much we need to love our Lord, but we also need to focus on the patient endurance of Christ, which should motivate you and I as a Christian to obey his word, obey the truth of God, because our Savior obeyed his Father. God, I'm going to obey you because Christ obeyed you. I want to be like Christ. I will obey what you've told me to do in the word. I want that endurance. I want that steadfastness. I want that. The word here, patient, in the Greek is hupomoni. Hupomoni. And it means that steadfastness, that you will not be moved what people try to do to you. Even if the evil one comes against you, you will not be moved. People who are closest to and love you and try to say, oh, calm this thing down, this Jesus thing you're doing. We used to call in the olden days the Jesus freak days, right? Stop it. You need, you're just talking about God way too much in Jesus. 
Mom and Dad, stop talking to me. I, I, I'm a 14, 15-year-old. I don't want you to hear this anymore. I'll make my own decisions when I get, you know, all these kinds of things that even kids even say. No, 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 no. Parents, you keep, you keep preaching the word of God. Keep pouring into your children because they need to hear the truth because they need to be, have this endurance and steadfastness because I assure you the enemy, the evil one, wants to come and take your kids out. Wipe them out. No question about it. And that's why when you see this verse here, and I'll give you two versions, and I'm saying not two versions, but two aspects of this word patience and what he's referring to, I believe they mean both. I'll give you both. I believe he means both. It means patience means to have a Christ-likeness or patience formed in me in a Christ-like character. God, I want to have you develop in me a patience. We know that. Why? Because of the fruit of the Spirit, right? 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slacking concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Patience. God is patient, and he's going to be patient with you, and he's going to continue this beautiful, sovereign work in your life, so that you will, too, have this steadfast, this endurance, this patience that's in your life for Christ. The second view of that, which I also believe this is it, and is also in very much in context with this letter. And that is, patience is in waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord. Remember, that's what the theme, the whole thing, the theme of this letter is, right? The day of the, of the Lord, the return of the Lord. He says, be patient. Understand, it's God's timing and his timetable, and it will be at a perfect time. I know it's not your time, but God's timing, and it's, be patient with that, because the rapture will happen. The great tribulation will happen, but you will not be here to endure it or have to be subject to it. That's why stay steadfast, be ready, be endured, because the Lord's return for his bride, for the church, for you is only about to, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen soon. So here today, we'll close up with this, finally. You like that? Finally. Let me close that with here. I got three minutes, okay. We see four great responsibilities I'm going to leave with you that we see in the scripture today. Keep it simple. Four great responsibilities. Did you catch them? Believe the truth. Guard the truth. Practice the truth, and that will lead you to what? Did you catch it? Share the truth. You and I must believe the truth. We must guard the truth. Guard in your heart, my brothers and sisters. Don't let anyone sway from the truth of God. You must practice it. That means you have to practice. It's your, it's your responsibility. And then you must share the truth with others. That is you and my responsibility. Amen?